Well, good morning, everyone, whether you're joining us in this room or online, so glad that you're here today. My first car was a Toyota Tercel. I used to call it the T-cell, and I was 16. I was very eager to have this newfound freedom, my first set of wheels. I remember one day I took the T-cell to work. I worked at this bakery in this grocery store, and I went to work, and I did my shift, and then I came out to the T-cell, and I got in, and I immediately sensed something was off. Like, this isn't how I... This isn't how I left it. Something is in disarray. Something is not, not right here. You know how you just have that sense. And so I look down at the radio, and the radio is gone. Someone had stolen my radio. And, you know, at 16, I, I mean, I was just not only mad that the radio was gone, but I also was like, seriously, like that feeling when something is stolen, like, you came in my car and touched my radio, <laughs> you know, my stuff. I mean, just like this feeling of what? And um, so I'm sitting there just fuming, my 16-year-old self getting angry. And then I realize, oh, I never locked the doors. My dad told me to lock the doors. I never locked the doors. So then I'm kind of doubly mad. I'm doubly mad that the radio got stolen. I'm mad at myself that I didn't lock the doors. And so in my anger, I put the car in reverse, and I back up too fast into a dumpster. <laughs> so now not only is my radio stolen, but I have this big fender bender. <laughs> I know, it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I see you laughing. It's true. <laughs> Funny now, not at the time. But So now I've got a radio stolen and this big fender bender on my bumper. In my anger, I had reacted rather than responded to what life brought my way on that day. In my anger, I put the car in reverse. I backed up way too fast without looking. And that decision, on my part, made a bad situation even worse. So my question for you is, can you think of a time in your life where you made a decision that led to some regret? Can you think of a time when you reacted rather than responded to a situation you faced? I mean, if you are breathing right now, the answer is probably yes, right? Like, have you ever hit send on the email? And then you're like, oh, no, 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 did I really just hit send or reply? Have you ever signed the loan papers? And then like a month later, the bill comes and you're like, what was I thinking? Like, this is a t this, that was a terrible decision. Have you ever, you know, said something to someone and then went to bed that night thinking, oh, if I could just take those words back? Have you ever entered into a relationship where, you know, maybe there were just tons of red flags and people who love you were telling you, like, mm, I'm not really sure if you want to go into business with that person or if you want to be in that close of a relationship with that person, but you had all your reasons and it seemed to make a lot of sense and you chose to ignore them. Here's the thing. Annie Dillard, author, says this. She says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And how we spend our days, it's really like, in a lot of ways, it's just a matter of like a multitude of decisions that we make. It's basically a series of decisions our decisions largely shape and form our lives. And in the next few weeks, 
as we journey into the season of the church year that we call Pentecost, technically beginning next Sunday. We're kind of starting this series a week early. But as we journey together into Pentecost and we consider together, like, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? How do we live lives that are guided by the voice of love, the voice of God's Spirit? How does that actually practically work? We're going to look at how we can make better decisions in step with God's spirit in order that we might live lives that are more of a legacy of love. I want all of us to be growing in just good, God-honoring decisions. Sometimes those are just positive things coming our way. Is it a yay or a nay with this opportunity before me? Sometimes it's something else. But that's what we're going to be doing in this series. You know, in the serenity prayer, we will pray these words. God, help me to, you could say this word with me, accept the things I cannot change and change the things I can. When we're talking about decisions and making God-honoring decisions in life, we're talking about the second half of that phrase. Changing the things that I can. Help me to accept the things I cannot change. There are those two. And help me to change the things that I can. That's what we're going to be talking about. I read a book some time ago, and it stuck with me, and it is informing and shaping this series. It's called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And basically, the whole point of that book is that good questions and good decisions really go hand in hand. That often our decisions are no better than the questions we ask when we're making those decisions, or the questions we don't think to ask. And every counselor in the room is nodding their heads right now, right? Because counselors know the power of a good question. Counselors know when someone steps foot in the, their office and their life is in disarray or they're struggling with something, that in large part, decisions and reactions and responses that they have made to things that have happened in their life is a big reason why they are where they are in that moment. And a good counselor knows there's no sense in giving a lecture. But the power of a good question is to help someone consider, what do I want to do with what's come my way? How do I want to respond? How do I want to view this? A good counselor knows this. The truth is good questions set us up for better decisions. In some ways, our decisions are just no better than the questions we ask or we don't know to ask. So we're going to basically, over the next five weeks, consider five questions. We're going to consider five questions. And it's really my hope and my prayer that this would be super practical in the sense that when you are making a decision, when I am making a decision, we would have these questions just kind of like in the back of our minds that we would sort of run any decision, financial, relational, academic, professional, that we would run those decisions through the filter of some good, solid questions before we decide in the hopes that we'll make better decisions, have fewer regrets, live in step with God's Holy Spirit a little more closely. So I really think if we prayerfully ask these questions we're going to look at in this series, and we answer them honestly, and we act accordingly, that it will be positive in our lives. Not just that, but in the people's lives, you know, around us. So I know some of you right now, I know you. So I know you're like thinking in your mind, nope. You're pushing back, you know. 
some of you are going to push back on this idea right out of the gate. You know, when we talk about decision shaping our lives, many folks will immediately say, wait, 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 wait. My life has been mostly shaped by other people's decisions. And yeah, you know, of course your life has been shaped also by other people's decisions because we're interconnected. Others peop other people's decisions have influenced and impacted you and your decisions have influenced and impacted other people. But here's my, uh, I don't want you to push back too far and here's why. We don't want to give in to a victim mentality when it comes to decision-making in our own lives. Here's why, because before you're pushing back too hard on the idea, just think about this, your responses or your reactions, whether you respond thoughtfully or react immediately to decisions that other people have made that have impacted you, your responses or your reactions are decisions. That is your decision. A response to something that happens in your life that you had no control over. Your response is your decision. So when bad things come my way and bad things come your way, and they do, and they will, when unwanted things happen, when things outside of your control that you cannot change come your way, even then, we decide how we respond. We choose our responses. And here's the thing remembering that, that's like your superpower. That is the key to avoiding a victim mentality. It's, it's seemingly such a small nuance. It seems like such a subtle thing. But actually, it explains how people who have been dealt the worst hands imaginable people who have had a hand handed over to them, you know, given a life they had no, it seems like, for, you know, you're looking like had no control over. It explains how sometimes they are able to rise above those circumstances and accomplish in some cases like extraordinary things. It's why people who have, you, you look at that, you read the story and you're like, they have every reason to be bitter, to be cynical, to be self-destructive. They have every reason in the world to be angry, and yet they're not. How do they do that? Like, how did that happen? Well, they at some point had something happen, and they decided how they would respond. They decided to respond rather than to react. So they see the stolen radio, they experience the unwanted event, and they pause before responding. They pause and they decide, rather than react, their way into the future. And that pause, that decision to respond rather than just react to whatever has happened, very often creates for them a preferred future. And that's why many of those stories, very inspiring. And I think we, we've probably all lived long enough to realize that a thoughtful response almost always is better than a reaction. I don't, I, 
I can't think of very many times when I've had to apologize for a thoughtful response that I've made, <laughs> but I very often have to apologize for a reaction, right? A flippant reaction that I make. That's when I find myself needing to apologize for making the situation worse with my reaction. A thoughtful response generally can, under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit, in prayer and step with the Spirit of God, generally it can create a bridge in a difficult situation. It can forge a way forward. It can shine a light in what seems like an impossible set of circumstances. That pause, deciding to you know, respond rather, rather than to react, it, it's, it's, like, it's like a human superpower that God has given me. So to react is to, in a sense, like relinquish the control. Just like, blah. I just relinquish the control. I've handed my enemy the pen to write the story of the next chapter of my life. That is essentially what I'm doing when I react. But deciding to respond thoughtfully, prayerfully, it actually has the power to thwart evil, to make amends, to redeem pain. In some cases, that thoughtful, prayerful response actually has the ability to reverse the course of somebody's life. So never, ever, ever, ever underestimate the power of just a thoughtful, prayerful, spirit-led response to something. Because it's essentially how you write the story of your life. It's how you make decisions that lead to days that lead to a life. Because how we spend our days, of course, is how we spend our lives. So the pause, the margin. There's this ancient wisdom in the Bible found in the book of Proverbs. It says this, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Will you say that with me? The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. So Solomon is writing these words in the book of Proverbs, and he uses this word, the prudent, the prudent see danger, and then they take refuge. It's a word we don't use very often, and sometimes we have to kind of define, like, what does the Bible mean when it says these words? Because maybe you have an idea of what prudent means. In this instance, what prudent means is it means crafty, shrewd. It means wise. It means sensible. The sensible see danger. And when they do, they take refuge. Do you know what? In a sense, you could say like crafty, shrewd, sensible people do. Here's what they do. They connect the dots. They understand that like what happens in this moment has a way of like wiggling itself into my future. And they connect those dots. They understand that what I decide today has a way of showing up later in my financial life, in my relationships, in the legacy that I leave. They connect the dots, the shrewd, the sensible, the prudent, the crafty, the wise. These are the people who ha they have this understanding that it's connected. So today's reactions and today's responses 
they just have a way of smuggling themselves into your future. And they see that connection. They see danger. They take refuge. When they realize something up ahead is dangerous, it's going to, you know, something up ahead is dangerous in the sense that, you know, it's going to rob them of the future they had hoped for. It's going to steal their joy in the long run. It is going to take away their preferred future, their future hopes and dreams, their future potential. They, what they do is they, they take refuge, there's the pause, and they respond appropriately. The, the prudent don't decide based on like what is right in front of them at any given moment. The prudent decide based on like where do I eventually want to be? relationally where do I eventually want to be spiritually vocationally financially all the ways where do I eventually want to be and what they do today is informed by that that's the prudent the prudency danger they take refuge but the simple here's the reverse here's the opposite the contrast the simple this is like again we have to kind of think how is the bible using this word the simple is like the naive the simple-minded the people who are going to believe almost anything. The simple are the people who approach life as if life is disconnected. I mean, <laughs> they probably know better because we all know better. Like if they really were to stop and think about it, they would probably tell you, oh, yeah, this is probably not a very good decision. The problem is they didn't stop, <laughs> and I didn't stop to think about it. So I'm living like like life is disconnected, like what I decide on this day in this moment doesn't build a life. It's just, a, it's just an isolated one-off. But actually, how we spend our days, that's how we spend our lives. How do we spend our days? Through a series of decisions that largely we get to make. The prudent don't, you know, or I, rather the, um, the simple Solomon says they just, they see the danger he says, they <laughs> just keep right on going. They just keep right on going. And he says, they pay the penalty for it. Another translation says, uh, they suffer for it. But the simple, they keep right on going. They pay the penalty for it. They suffer for it. Like we've all been there, right? And I want to, um, with this verse, it's, it's um, such a wonderful little proverb. I would encourage everybody in the month of June, maybe just commit this one to memory. It's not that long. Read it as a family. Post it on your fridge. Read it with your grandkids. Talk about what it means. Talk about it at breakfast or talk about it at din dinner. That the prudent, the wise people, the people who connect the dots in life, they, they see danger. They take refuge. They understand that life is connected. But the simple, oh, they keep going. And then they suffer for it. They pay the penalty for it. This is a really good one to just commit to memory. Because if we can see danger coming, it will help create the margin that we need to stop, to pause, and to think about it, connect the dots, to put all of the, the, the passions of the moment, the desires of our hearts, many of which are good, and the resulting answer may be yes, right? Uh, many times to put your fears, the fears that overtake you and cause you to make decisions out of fear, to put those in the proper place. So 
questions, decisions. The, the questions that we ask are going to be a big part of this, helping us to, to connect the dots from today and into our future. And it's, it's not just about us, right? It's not just about you. Um, as followers of God in the way of Jesus, like the decisions you make, actually they impact everybody you love all around you. The decisions that you make have a huge impact on the people who are in your home, are in your neighborhood. And when you make better decisions with fewer regrets, as the book title says, then not only will you be better off yourself, but the people around you will also experience that benefit. They will be better off because of your decisions. And in a sense, you could say, this is the way of love. This is what love requires of us. This is the way of Jesus. This is to walk in step with God's Holy Spirit because it's not just about us only. So the prudent, okay, they see danger. Um, they take refuge. The simple, they keep going. They pay the penalty. Let's, let's be prudent. Okay, ready for the first question. This is week one, question one. When faced with a big decision, a good starting point is to ask ourselves, Am I being honest with myself? Should we say it together? Am I being honest with myself? Now you can, if you want, add this little word at the end. Really? Am I being honest with myself? Really? Because uh, I got a master's degree in leadership, and I'm going to tell you the hardest person to lead is the person in the mirror. And the easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. Well, that and my 10-year-old son, but you get the point. <laughs> it's really easy to deceive ourselves. The hardest person for you to lead is you. And it's very easy for in our lives for us to talk ourselves into really bad decisions. Because here's the thing. You have, like, inside of you, you could say, like, a very persuasive and powerful sales associate. And that person, the reason I know this about you is because it's true of me, can talk me into a whole lot of things that actually don't fit when I pause and think long term about the story I want to be telling of my life, about the things that I hope will be said about me after I'm gone. But my sales associate in my head can talk me into all sorts of things. Because if you think about it, you have probably... When you think about what are the worst decisions I've ever made in life, decisions I regret or I just, oh, if I wish, if I could go back, I would do that differently. If you think about those decisions, most likely on some level, you talked yourself into it. I mean, you were there for all of them. And of course, there were other factors at play, you know, other voices and other things, but you were there for all of them. And most likely you talked yourself into those decisions. In fact, in some cases, you were the absolute mastermind behind them. You came up with them, totally came up with them. And often that is the case. I know um, that is for sure true of me. There, there's this sales associate in my head. Her voice sounds a lot like my voice. Her logic is all sometimes a little off, but man, is she persuasive. And I can fall for it. I can convince myself about, about a wide variety of things, and so can you. 
Um, so the first question, when you're thinking about a decision, whether it's relational, financial, vocational, spiritual, how, I mean, all the different aspects were spheres in which we make decisions. Am I being honest with myself? Ooh, this is a good one to just like look in the mirror and say it out loud to yourself. Am I being honest with myself? Really? Why am I doing this, really? Why am I avoiding him, really? Like, why do I keep postponing this, really? What, what really is that about? Why do, I, why do I keep making excuses? Why did I say yes, or why did I say no? Why, really, did I choose to purchase or lease that thing? Why am I moving in? Why am I moving out? Why am I moving there? Why won't I get help? Really? Here's the thing. You, maybe you're a person who's like, I'm not very good at selling anyone on anything. That may be true, but chances are you are good at selling you <laughs> on things. Selling yourself on ideas. When it comes to selling yourself a bad idea, you are probably amazing. And I am too. I can do it too. Usually our greatest regrets in life are associated with just, man, I didn't ask the right question. I wasn't, um, I, I jumped into that opportunity without pausing and saying, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this really? As soon as you start to sell yourself on anything and you hear that voice in your head, it is just a great, like, you know, it's a great alarm to go off, to go like, just pause. Just hit the pause button. The moment you begin selling yourself, it's a good time to hit pause, and here's why. We, we rarely are um, needing to sell ourselves on super solid <laughs> good decisions. And perhaps, you know, with a lot of decisions, it is a matter of time and discernment, and maybe in the end, that decision is, you know, but often when that sales associate thing kicks in, you're trying to talk yourself into it. It's a good opportunity to just hit the pause button. Am I being honest with myself, really? So let me just, um, let me throw out a few questions. And maybe these will not intersect with where you're at today, or maybe one or two of them will. But um, maybe just close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Let the, uh, kind of like a snow globe in your body and your mind, let the snow fall, settle a bit. And here are a few questions. Why do you continue to go out with him or her, really? Why are you taking that job or quitting that job, really? What's the real reason why you don't call your kids or the real reason you don't call your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister? Why won't you tell her or him the truth? Why won't you tell him what's really going on? You can open your eyes. It's brutal, right? Right? It's um, trying to get honest with ourselves. It is brutal. It is like terrifying. Some of you felt that just now. It is terrifying. Um, 
It is also clarifying. Ultimately, if we stick with it, it is liberating and it is empowering because we begin to exercise a muscle that starts to grow in like confidence and good decision making. But oh my goodness, am I being honest with myself really? When I really do that, it's terrifying. I mean, there is a reason why Jeremiah in the Bible, the, the prophet of old said, the heart is deceitful above all things. We are so good at self-deception. We are so good at selling ourselves on things, telling ourselves that it's a good idea. So be honest with yourself. Doesn't always come naturally, but hey, a lot of the best things in life do not, uh, they're not easy, right? Imagine for a minute a family, like a family system where mom and dad just got totally um, committed to the only kind of control that the Bible ever encourages, which is self-control. Imagine a family with, you know, parents and kids, and, and the parents get, like, really clear on the only kind of control that God wants us to have, which is self-control. Well, what, is, what does that look like, you know, for a family? Imagine how much better our families and schools and neighborhoods and churches would be if we all started accepting the things we cannot change and changing the things that we can, like actually taking up that God-given agency in our lives. And changing those things that we can change in our lives, it, it changes a house, it changes a neighborhood, it changes a school, it changes a community. The prudent, when they see danger, when they see trouble, they do something. They connect the dots. And in a way, you could say, like, trouble, it's always just a decision away. We're always just a decision away from trouble. So for today, the first question would you commit to just saying, I will decide not to lie to myself. I will decide to tell myself the truth, even when the truth hurts. Because we're not going to get anywhere different if we don't start with what is real and what is true. And as followers of God in the way of Jesus, we want to increasingly live in what is real and what is true. And to remember we live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. That kingdom's not in trouble. Neither are you. Neither am I. So may we, like, not lie to ourselves, but take up the agency that God has given us. Will you tell yourself the truth? And when I hear my own voice, when you hear your own voice trying to sell you on something, will you pause? Will you have that be a cue to yourself? Like, I'm about to probably react and do something and a little bit of pause a little bit of margin a little bit of time is probably only going to help so next five weeks we're going to do like five questions like that that's the first one and hopefully prayerfully if we incorporate these in, almost like a filter into our lives that we prayerfully ask good questions when faced with decisions of all kinds 
ask good questions, ruthlessly answer them honestly, rigorously, meticulously, and then act accordingly. It'll be better for our lives and also just for the lives of people entrusted to our care. I pray that this would be a season, the season of Pentecost that we'll be entering here, where we live into what does it mean to live lives guided by the voice of love in step with God's Holy Spirit. Let's pray together as we close. Well, God, we um, thank you for this morning, this chance to be together 10 a.m. for 10 weeks as one church. And God, I pray for um, the person who's maybe in the middle of facing a really big decision, and they know in their heart that they've maybe sold themselves on an option that might not fit. They sold themselves on an option that they might later regret. Give them the courage to embrace this idea of just, am I being honest with myself before you? Give us all eyes to see. Give us all ears to hear, God. Give us the courage to respond in the power of your spirit to the lives that you have given us, we pray. Amen.